Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Really good to see you guys. Have a good Thanksgiving. Everybody good? Did y'all get to eat? Did, did you, I mean, did you get to have it? Did you have to eat with a mask on? Uh, we, uh, we took our masks off to eat, but my sister still made us eat in the yard, so it was still Thanksgiving. Uh, good to see you guys. Open your Bibles to John chapter 1, starting a new message series today entitled Call His Name. This is uh, the set of sermons that will take us all the way up to Christmas. Uh, call his name, uh, talking about Jesus, of course. Names matter. Names are very, very important. Uh, one of the things I've learned as a pastor is how important it is to know people's names. Uh, in John chapter 10, when Jesus is talking about the great shepherd, the good shepherd, he says, my sheep hear my voice. I call them by name. They are mine. And as a pastor, I just feel like it's pretty much impossible to be the shepherd for someone whose name you don't know. So I try to learn names. Um, but y'all are throwing me off now. After, um, after this pandemic, I don't know anybody <laughs> anymore. Plus, everybody's, uh, a couple of Sundays ago, a guy came up with a mask on and said, Pastor Tim, you remember me? I'm thinking, your eyebrows look like everybody else's eyebrows with a mask on, dude. I have no idea. Uh, I, have, I have a hard time. But I, I do think that names matter. In this room, your, your names matter. Harold and Garnet. I love the name Garnet. That, that's just a great name. Troy, Sophia, uh, great names. Uh, Tony Rayom, I love your last name, Tony. That is beautiful. Dell, Trisha, David, Mark, Carol, Trent, um, Hayden, uh, good names, you all. Um, I've, guys, I don't know. If, I've just always thought my name was kind of a disappointment. Um, I, mean, I, I mean, I know my parents gave it to me and all, but, you know, what if, I mean, they could have named me Thor, I mean, that would be just, you know, Pastor Thor, that, that would be, so, I mean, amazing, uh, just so good, you know. Um, I had surgery, y'all, <laughs> and uh, you know how when before you, like, when you're coming out of, you know, when you're being checked, coming out of surgery, going onto the floor, the nurses were talking to me, but I was doped up. I have no memory of this whatsoever, but the nurse asked me what I like to be called. <laughs> so I, have, I don't remember this. But apparently I told her I like to be called Captain Awesome. <laughs> so they wrote it on the board in my room. So I woke up in the hospital room and it said, you know, patient's name, Captain Awesome. And I thought, this is amazing. They, they know me. They know me so well. But, y'all, my wife, like, told all the nurses, do not call him that. Like, she forbade anybody to call. I guess she didn't want that to get started. Uh, so anyway, my name is Timothy Wade Harris. Uh, Harris is the last name. It's a surname. Uh, it connects me to my father's family, and it is British ancestry, Harris. Uh, Wade is my middle name. It's also my father's middle name, so it's a family name. It connects me with him. It's also the name we gave our son, Wade. Wade. Uh, my first name is Timothy. Uh, Timothy uh, comes from two Greek words put together, which together mean honoring God. Uh, Timotheus, I, I love that. Uh, honoring God. Most people call me Tim. Uh, and that's been my name for 55 years. There is exactly one woman on earth who calls me husband. I love that. Uh, one young man who calls me dad. And uh, that also is, is just amazing. Um, there are people who call me friend, and I appreciate that. I, I, I love that. Of those, there are very, very few who will sometimes call me Skippy which has to do with a night on the creek bank in 1982 and a magnificent story which shall never be told. Uh, but those guys know me by that name. I'm called pastor by a lot of people, and that is a title I've really come to treasure. 
Understand names identify us in, in, in deep ways, not just, you know, what you're called, but, but my name and the things that I'm called always say something about who I am, but also the relationship, how people know me and, and what my place is in their lives. So, so names matter. And if your name matters and my name matters, how much more important is it on the night when the angel said to Joseph, thou shalt call his name Jesus? If, if your name matters and my name matters, what about his great name? I mean, the name above all names, his name matters. They said, call him Jesus. But he goes by other names as well. He's called the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, Friend of Sinners, Son of Man, Son of God, and, and on and on it goes. He is called by many, many names in Scripture, and these names help us to identify him and know uh, the relationship, what he means to us, and something of what we mean to him. What I want you to know is that no matter what it is you need or how near or far away he seems to you, you can call his name. And that is what these sermons are for. And that's how we'll start this morning in John chapter 1, looking at uh, one of the important names of Jesus in John chapter 1. It's my favorite. Uh, I love this. John chapter 1, verse 1. This is what the Word of God says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptizer, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become, say it, Children of God, they are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became flesh and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And the John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. From his abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. In the beginning was the Word. Uh, can somebody help me get my slides up? Uh, in the beginning was the Word. Before the wedding, when I am uh, counseling a couple um, to prepare for marriage, uh, one of the things I like to do is hear each of them tell their life story. The short version, because we ain't got all day, you know. Um, but just to have them explain to me sort of who they are and, and, and what their journey has been and how God brought 
the two together. So, so here's the secret. Here's the thing. I'll ask them, you know, whichever one's going to go first, just tell me about your life, and then I say nothing. I just sit back and be quiet because I've learned something amazing. When someone's going to tell you their life story, the very first words out of their mouth will very, very often tell you everything. For example, uh, just this year, I had a young man, I said, tell me about your life. He sat there a minute and he said, when I was nine years old, I went to my very first Major League Baseball game. Okay, what does that tell you right there? I mean, like, like he starts there. He starts at his first baseball game. So what does that tell you? For this young man, life is baseball. Yeah, it's baseball. Life is baseball. Everything begins like, I don't know if anything happened the first nine years of life, but when he went to his first Major League game, life begins. He told you everything in the first words. One young woman years ago said, seriously, I said, tell me about your life. And she said, my daddy never loved me. First words out of her mouth, my daddy never loved me. And in those words, you know, she told me everything. So John is going to tell us the story of Jesus. So pay attention. The uh, opening words will tell you everything. Now, John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. We have four, we call them gospels. Uh, They are the lives of Jesus, so to speak, and they are written by four men. The first one is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four gospels. They all more or less tell the same story, the the story of the life of Jesus, but they don't tell it exactly the same way. They they make some choices. They they have, each of them has a, a, a different Uh, approach. Now, Matthew, as as you probably know, Matthew begins his gospel, the story of Jesus, in a very interesting way. He starts with a genealogy. In other words, he begins with all the way back, you know, to Abraham, and then Abraham begat, and all the way through the, the fathers and sons, the begats, and all of the genealogy. He comes through Abraham, and then comes through King David, all the way down to a man named Joseph, and then he tells you the story of Joseph. The angel Gabriel appears to Joseph and says to him, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. The child is conceived of the Holy Spirit, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. That's all Matthew. That's Matthew's way. He does the genealogy so that you will know that Jesus is in the line of King David and Abraham. He wants you to understand that, that connection to the Old Testament. So Matthew begins with the genealogy and the story of Joseph. But that's not John's way. John knows that you know Matthew. And John knows that you've read Matthew. He assumes you know that part of the story. He, he agrees with it. It just doesn't start there. That's not John. Now, Luke is the story that a lot of you are familiar with because Luke gives us the Christmas story as we know it. It's Luke that says, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed and that whole story that unfolds from there. Mary and Joseph, Mary great with child and Joseph, her her, uh, betrothed, they make their way to a place called Bethlehem and she was great with child and there it, it came to be that she brought forth her firstborn son and laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn, the angels, the shepherds, all of that. That's the story you know because of Charlie Brown Christmas, right? I mean, if it's good enough for Charlie Brown, that's the Jesus story 
from Luke. Now he goes all the way back to a man named Zachariah and Elizabeth, the way the angel Gabriel appeared to them and opened Elizabeth's womb and brought forth the son that came to be John the baptizer. And then of course, all the way through with angel Gabriel appears to Mary the virgin and tells her about the, the, the son that's gonna be born from her. That's Luke. It's a Christmas story as most of us know it. And, and Luke wants us to begin with Gabriel and Mary and, and Bethlehem. But I'm telling you, that's not John. He knows that story and he knows you know that story. He knows you know Bethlehem. He knows that you know the Virgin Mary. He knows that you know. I'm telling you, it's good enough for Charlie Brown, but it's not John. That's not going to be the way John starts the story. So it's almost like we're sitting there and we say, John, tell us the story of Jesus' life. Tell us about Jesus. There's a moment of silence and then listen to his first words because the first words will usually tell you everything. John takes a deep breath and he says, in the beginning, in the beginning, now, again, he, he knows you know. He knows that you've read the Bible. And so he knows that when he says the words, in the beginning, that's an echo for you. And what does it go back to? Genesis. I mean, to say in the beginning, that's how the Bible begins. That's how the book of Genesis begins. So John begins in a very, very important way, and he knows exactly what he's doing. He begins with, with the words, in the beginning. These echoes of Genesis. Because he knows that you know the story and he knows that you know what that's going to trigger for you. And he's doing this intentionally because he knows that you really, really need to know something about Jesus. And what John knows is to understand who Jesus is, you don't start in Bethlehem, you start in Genesis. To understand who Jesus is, you don't necessarily start in Bethlehem. That's one way to tell the story, but John wants you to understand who Jesus is, who he really is. And if all you know is a Bethlehem story, if all you know is a Charlie Brown Christmas, you might never fully understand who Jesus is. So for John, you go back and you say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. What's John doing? What does it mean to call Jesus the word? Why does he, I mean, that's not a name. I mean, he uses it as a name here, but nowhere else in the scriptures is Jesus called the Word. And as a matter of fact, John does it brilliantly here, but he's never going to do it again. He doesn't call Jesus the Word later. It's just right here in this prologue, in this introduction to his gospel. He says, in the beginning was the Word. He's talking about Jesus. And the first words tell you everything. So you need to understand that Jesus is from the beginning God. I mean, this is what he's doing. He uses a name. He uses this word, word, and he does it on purpose. He intends to blow your mind. He wants to blow your mind. He wants to make you go, what? I mean, he understands that, that you think about Jesus in Bethlehem terms, 
the little baby swaddled in clothes and lying in a manger. I mean, like Ricky Bobby, like that's the Jesus you know. You think of him in small terms, in little swaddled terms, and John wants to expand that so that you know who Jesus is, so that you really understand who Jesus is. So when he calls him the word, understand, he's introducing Jesus in universal, cosmic terms. He's using the biggest kind of language, the biggest kind of image, because your idea of Jesus is probably too small, much too small. So John steps out and says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And you're going, what? Because in Genesis, it just says, in the beginning, God. God all by himself, we've always assumed. God created the heavens and the earth. But now John wants to reveal the, the, the deeper truth to you. Now, the word reveal is important. To reveal means to, to somehow show what was previously hidden. To reveal means to, to somehow make known what you couldn't possibly know unless somebody pulled back the curtain. And this is what John is doing. It's, it's a revelation here of the truth of who Jesus is. You wouldn't know it if all you know is a Bethlehem story. But John says, you don't start in Bethlehem. You go back to Genesis and you say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. You wouldn't have known this. It's, it's, it's a revelation. And the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything through him. The creation has to do with this one called the Word. So in other words, if you're going to understand who Jesus is, you've got to understand that he was present with God at creation. When everything else had its beginning, Jesus already was. Jesus is eternal. He's from all eternity God. And this is what you have to know. It's why John begins with the words, in the beginning. He intends to blow your mind. He wants to stretch the parameters of your thinking. He wants you to know who Jesus is. So he calls him the word, the, the, the word. So what does it mean to call somebody the word? What does it mean to call Jesus the word? What do words do? Okay, I'm using a lot of words right now. Y'all probably noticed that that's one of my spiritual gifts. I mean, I use a lot of words. I, I talk all the time, and, and I, it probably gets old, but you know what would get older? If I just stood here and didn't use any words. I mean, what if I just stood here and looked at you all? Gets awkward quick. Weird. So I'm looking at you thinking, what are they thinking? And you're looking at me thinking, what's he doing? Because when there aren't any words anymore, that, that connection, that understanding is gone. We require words. When I speak, it lets you know what's in my head. If I didn't say it, you wouldn't know what I was thinking, what I was feeling, or what I intended to convey. Words make communication possible, communication, a communion. There's a sharing that happens when we can speak, when we can exchange words. So understand, God's word reveals his thought. God wants you to know him. He doesn't want to just be the God off in eternity in heaven. God wants you to know him. He wants to reveal himself. And so God 
also has a word, you understand. And God's word re- reveals his thoughts. Now, the prophet Isaiah would have something to say about this. Remember when Isaiah, what is Isaiah chapter 55, when he says, my ways are not your ways. He's using words from God. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. For as high as the heavens are from the earth. So we're talking about how far apart your thoughts, your way of thinking, and God's way of thinking is. And Isaiah said, it's as far as the heaven is from the earth. Now, he was trying to use a really, really big metaphor, but he had no idea. Even Isaiah had no idea. Like, now we know that the edge of the universe is like 45 billion light years away from where you're sitting. Like, 45 billion light years and growing. And so this is what Isaiah means to say. Like he's trying to think of the greatest distance possible. And Isaiah is saying, yeah, that about 45 billion light years, that's how far above your thinking is God's thinking. In other words, you can't know his thoughts. His ways will always be unfamiliar to you because it's nothing like the way you think. His ways are not your ways. God doesn't act the way you act. He doesn't think like you think. And this is what Isaiah wanted you to know, that God is unreachable. God is unknowable. And it's important to understand the greatness of God and and, and the amazing transcendence of God. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. But you need to know that God had no intention of staying way off in heaven, unreachable and unknowable. He wanted us to know him. He wants us, wants us to be reached. And so God speaks. God's word reveals his thoughts. Makes sense? God wants us to know him. And this is why the scripture says, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one, verse 18, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. He reveals God to us. Now, beyond that, the other thing about God's word, when God speaks, things happen. Now, John is using echoes of Genesis because he wants you to think of Genesis. And just remember how God creates. You remember? God creates everything, and he doesn't even bust out a sweat. God creates the universe the quasars and pulsars and the black holes and all the constellations and all the galaxies just spinning and burning and exploding. And then God creates the earth and the mountains and the seas and all the itty bitty animals. I mean, God is just this amazing creator and he does all of this how? Scripture says God stepped out and said, let there be light. He said, let there be light. So God creates with what? With his word. God creates with his word. He doesn't even break a sweat. The Hebrew says, God said, light be and light was. That's it. All he's got to do is say it. God's word has power. When God speaks, things happen. So this is why it matters so much that John uses the name word. He wants you to think of Jesus in terms of God's word, this word that was with God, this word that was God, this word through whom everything was created. Because John's going to say something actually pretty amazing. Of all things unthinkable, unpredictable, unprecedented, in verse 14, John says, so the word became flesh. This powerful word of God, this word through whom everything is created, this word from all eternity that was God, that word, 
it became flesh, made its home among us. The Greek word there means to, to pitch a tent. So the word became flesh and just pitched his tent out among us. He moved into your neighborhood. That's what it says. The word became flesh. So understand something beautiful. When God wanted us to know him most fully, he spoke a word in flesh and blood. He spoke a word in flesh and blood. And the angel said, that's how I call his name Jesus. Understand where we are now? Jesus is that word made flesh. Understand, there is nothing in any other world religion that is anything like this. Now, I, I don't like to be a judgmental person, and I'm not being judgmental now, but uh, I hear a lot of people just say, you know, all the world religions, they teach basically the same thing. No, they don't. Now, anybody who says that, they don't know anything about world religions. I mean, they don't teach the same thing at all. I mean, there's nothing like this in any other world religion. If we wanted to talk about Hinduism, for example, you couldn't even use the phrase in the beginning in Hinduism because Hinduism sees everything as a cycle with no beginning and no end. It's just this continual cycle of, of birth and death and rebirth. It just goes on and on and on. There's no beginning. There's no end. That's, that's Hinduism. You can't talk about Buddhism and anything like this because whether you realize it or not, Buddhism is an atheistic religion. There is no God. There's no divine being in Buddhism. It's, it's a path to enlightenment, but Buddhism itself is an atheistic religion. There is no God in Buddhism. There's no God to take on flesh. So understand the, the uniqueness, understand the, the radical unprecedentedness of what John is confessing right here, that the word becomes flesh. God himself becomes flesh. It's, it's, it's just extraordinary. It's, it's just the most impossible thing to understand. I, I mean, please, this is the creator of everything. The God who was outside of time, transcendent in eternity. What we're saying is he stepped into time. Like he somehow unfolded himself and, and unfolded himself into our lives, into our existence. This God who is beyond and above and greater than everything somehow comes down to us, pitched his tent, the scripture says, like one of us. He lives a life like one of us. I mean, I don't even know how to understand that. This God of such greatness, this God whose word is powerful enough to, to spin all the planets into orbit, that God, he's born, it becomes flesh. It's just the most impossible thing to believe if it wasn't the gospel truth. So I think this is the most amazing part. To call him the word is to say that who Jesus is, is a greater wonder than anything he does. Who Jesus is. And this is what John wants you to understand. Before you read all about what Jesus does, before you read all about what Jesus says, you need to know who Jesus is because that is the greatest wonder. He is the Word made flesh, the Word who was from the beginning God, with God, and was God. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Who He is is a greater wonder. I mean, the word made flesh walked on the earth. So anything he does on the earth, 
cannot be a greater demonstration of the power it took to create the earth. You understand? No matter what he says, it's, he teaches truth. He teaches wonderful things. And other world religions will say Jesus was a great teacher. But no, we're not just saying he's a man who taught the truth. We're saying this is the one who is the truth. You got to know who he is. He's not just the one who was able to, to bring you know, blind eyes their sight. He himself is the light. The light of everything. His life brings light to everything the scripture said. Not just able to raise the dead. He himself is the resurrection. He is the life of everything that has life. You've got to know who he is. And who he is is greater, a greater wonder than anything he's going to do and anything he's going to say. This is what John wants you to understand. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. So this amazing revelation, from this, we learn two just bedrock principles of our faith, of who Jesus is, of the Christian message, but of everything, I mean, these two things that we learn in this passage are literally everything that we need to know, everything. And it's just two things. I'll say the first one first. To see Jesus is to see God. You need to understand this. To see Jesus is to see God. I mean, John says it plainly. No one has ever seen God but the unique one who is himself God, near to the Father's heart, he has revealed God to us. We're talking about Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God, and the Word became flesh. So understand now, when you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at God. Now, you may not see God in all of his glory, and all of his eternity. I mean, there is much of God that, that is beyond anything that our, our, our human senses could comprehend. But everything that we can know of God, we learn through Jesus. We can look at Jesus and know about God. We can listen to Jesus and know that we're hearing God's voice. We can see what Jesus does and know that we're seeing a demonstration of God's own power. The word becomes flesh. And so to see Jesus is to see God. Anything that you can say about Jesus, you will say about God. Anything that can be said about God, you can say about Jesus. To see Jesus is to see God. So whatever questions you have about religion, you look to Jesus. Anything you're trying, if you're trying to listen to another, uh, another message or teaching and understand if it's true or not, just listen to what they say about Jesus. Because if you understand Jesus, you understand everything you can know about God. To see Jesus is to see God. Do you understand why if all you know is the Bethlehem story, you could miss the most important part of Jesus' coming? It's not just sweet little Jesus boy. He's the eternal word of God made flesh. John wants you to know that. You need to know that. To see Jesus is to see God. And then the next part, it's just the most amazing thing. To receive and believe Jesus makes possible a personal relationship with God. Now that, that sort of sounds like something we'd say in church, but notice exactly what John says here. He came into the world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Verse 11, he came to his own people and even they rejected him. 
Verse 12, but to all who believed him and received him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are born again, reborn, not with a physical birth, but a birth that comes from God. To all who believe him. In other words, what I'm saying here today, um, you've got to believe it. I'm not saying that you need to agree with me. I'm trying as faithfully as I can simply to preach what the word of God says. And you and I can disagree on a lot of things, a lot of social issues, political issues. You and I can disagree about that song, The Christmas Shoes. You know, we can disagree about all kinds of things. But, but, but this is where a line is drawn. In order to be a Christian, you have to believe these things about Jesus and who he is. And, and this is what you have to believe, that he is the Word made flesh, that he is God himself in the flesh, revealing himself to us. You have to believe that. It's not enough just to believe that he was born and died. It's not enough to believe that he was a really, really good teacher, a good example. No, he is the way of salvation for us. He shows us the way to the Father, and he makes possible a personal relationship with God. I mean, this God. The God in eternity, the God who's you know, 45 billion light years away from where you're sitting, that, that God, the God who is so far beyond your thoughts and your thinking, what you would never really understand unless somebody told you is that that God knows your name. He knows you. You wouldn't know this unless somehow it was revealed to you, but what Jesus reveals is that that God has always known your name, the number of hairs on your head. He knows what keeps you awake at night. He knows what makes you laugh. He knows what makes you cry. He knows every single inch of your body, every second of your life, all your thoughts. He knows you. Some of that God from so far away that wants you to understand that you are the focus of his attention and affection. He loves you. He has feelings for you. This is what the scripture says. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God, who is near to the Father's heart. See, because Jesus is God, Jesus can reveal to us God's heart so we can know how God actually feels about us. And what is revealed? Verse 14, the word became flesh and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. What we discover when we look into the face of Jesus is that God is a God of love, a God who loves you, who would span the incredible distance of the universe just to have a relationship with you so that not only you could know his name, but so that you could know that he knows your name. To receive and believe Jesus makes possible a personal relationship with God. So it's, you know, like, it's almost like we asked John, you know, tell us the story of Jesus, and then you just wait for it because uh, the first words out of his mouth are going to tell you everything you need to know. And so when John begins the story of Jesus, he says, in the beginning, in the beginning was the word. It's the name he's using for Jesus, the, the, the word. 
what you need to understand is uh, whatever it is you need, no matter how near or far away God seems to you, all you have to do is call his name. You, you pray with me? Jesus, um, somehow we have probably all thought too small of you. The fact that you came down, Lord, is one thing, but we have continued to shrink you down, Lord, into a, a, a Jesus that is somehow easily swaddled and tucked into a box. And uh, for the most part, Jesus, we're comfortable with that. If you were any bigger, you'd probably want to start taking over our lives. If, if, if we allowed you to be of the size that you are, Lord Jesus, we would probably all fall on our face and tremble before you. We don't do a lot of trembling in our lives, Lord. And for the most part, we like to uh, keep our lives to ourselves. So we have thought too small of you, Lord Jesus. But we're asking you to change that for us. Will you show yourself to us in the size that you are, with the glory that is yours, with the beauty and the power that belongs to you as the eternal God come to us made flesh? Oh, Lord Jesus, the fact that you know us so intimately, so closely, the fact that you know our names, our hearts from the inside, Lord, it does not mean that we have not somehow been a stranger to you. Because while you may know us in this way, Lord Jesus, we cannot always say that we have known you. So, Lord Jesus, will you... Uh, Teach us to know you. Help us to see your face. Help us to understand the great lengths you have gone to that we might know you fully and be loved as we are loved in eternity. Lord Jesus, help us to understand who you are, what we mean to you. Lord Jesus, we want to uh, somebody be able to trust that you are big enough so that we call upon your name, things can change. Our lives can change. Miracles could still happen. We need a big God, Lord Jesus. So teach us the greatness of your name. We pray these things in that precious name, Jesus. Amen.